All right, let's talk about Genesis 15 this morning. I want to talk to you from the subject of the promise maker and the promise taker. The promise maker and the promise taker. Uh, we, we've been studying Genesis in the, the last, uh, well, I guess about the last three or four months. And on Wednesday night in our Bible study, uh, we're, we're up to chapter 15. We started in Genesis 1 and we're walking through Genesis. And now in a church setting, I've never... Uh, walk through the book of Genesis, so it's kind of kind of different to put it all in sermon stuff. We, I've done it in a Bible college setting, uh, but th- it's been real rich, hasn't it? It's been real rich for those of you who've been able to follow along with us. Uh, we're up to Genesis 15. We're talking about the story of Abraham now. From Genesis 12 to Genesis 25, we see the life of Abraham. We, we, we know him as Abram right now. Later, God will change his name. So why should we study Abraham? What, what's so significant about his life and what about all these ancient stories because Abraham lived somewhere around like 2000 BC so that's that's some 4,000 years from where we are today scripture presents Abraham in the Old Testament and the New Testament as a picture of what it means to live by faith Abraham is called the father of the faithful and later God will call him his friend he's known as the friend of God So why should we study Abraham? His life, according to Paul in Romans chapter 4 especially, is exemplary of what it means to trust God, what it means to live by faith. You know what? Even though he lives by faith, it's it's interesting to watch his journey because his life is filled with all kinds of trouble. It's filled with all kinds of tests and delays and questions and sacrifice and hard decisions, bad decisions even, some sins and some mistakes he made. We caught him lying when he went to Egypt, didn't we? He's had good days and bad days. But, you know, that's what it's like when you live by faith. It's it's not this charmed life and it's not this easy life. And it's certainly not a perfect life, right? Mm -hmm. We all have our struggles in this journey of faith. Faith is not about living the perfect life, although we need to grow and continue to mature in our walk with God. Faith is about living the with God life. It's about learning to live your, God, your life with God and, and with Him by your side and with Him leading you and guiding you, Him being your shepherd. It's living in this partnership with God, learning to trust Him every step of the way, even when you can't trace Him. You know, sometimes it's hard to trace Him, isn't it? It's hard, hard to figure out what He's up to sometimes. So walking with God every step of the journey is what it's about. And the key is staying in close contact with God. Staying in close communion is what we were saying. So by the time we get to chapter 15, it, it seems like several years have passed now since Genesis 12. That was the initial calling. Abraham has obeyed the voice of the Lord. God said, I want you to come follow me. I want you to go. I want you to leave where you are. I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave your kinfolk, and I want you to leave your father's house. We learned from that principle alone that in order to live by faith and follow God, you've got to be willing. you not only got to be willing, you've got to do it. You've got to leave your old life in order to live your new life. You believe that? Mm-hmm. He and Sarah experienced all kinds of hardships along the way. Uh, They went through a severe famine. They ended up in Egypt. They made that dreadful decision to go down to Egypt is what the scripture says. And they went down to Egypt to find food. And they encountered this oppressive Pharaoh who, in spite of all of their mistakes, in spite of his lies, in spite of him putting Sarah in danger, God intervenes on their behalf, rescues them. And chapter 13 says, and they come up out of Egypt. So if you find yourself going down to Egypt, Egypt in the Bible is always a, a, a symbol of, of like sin and the, and, and the wrong life, the fleshly life. 
If you find yourself going down to Egypt, the best thing you can do is get up out of there. You know what I'm talking about? And God blesses them to come up out of Egypt. And then, lo and behold, there's trouble with Lot. Lot is nephew. They, they have to part ways. And they, they start squabbling over land. And there's just all these troubles that come up between them. And it's a heartbreaking situation for Abraham, I'm sure. They have to part ways. Then Lot makes that fateful decision to move towards Sodom. We'll get to him in chapter 19. Then war breaks out in chapter 14. War breaks out in the region. And, you know, it's tough when you live in a bad neighborhood. It's tough. You don't ever know what's going to happen. Some of y'all got it easy. I'm from Memphis. You just don't ever know what's going to happen. You kiss the kids when you go to the grocery store. I'm for real. You just don't ever know when you live in a bad region. This war just happens to break out. And Lot is taken as a prisoner of war in this conflict. And Abraham gathers up his men and he says, hey, boys, all 318 of you, let's go. Let's go get them. So, so what do we learn from that story? We learn that the life of faith means that you have to fight for what is right and help rescue those who are in trouble. That's part of faith, isn't it? I think Paul said, let us fight the good fight of faith. You know, that fight just shows us that there's going to have to be some tenacity in your faith. It's just not all this nice little uh, sweet songs and nice little things that we do with each other and how we're just being kind. And sometimes Christians, all they know what to do is be nice, but sometimes you've got to fight. I'm not talking about with each other. I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about having a tenacious kind of faith that will go after what is holding back what belongs to you. In the process of all of that fighting, and the victory comes. And then we ran into Melchizedek, the king priest. Abram met Melchizedek. Then we pick it up in Genesis 15 to our story today. In Genesis 15 with Abraham's life, it starts out with the phrase, after these things, after all, a little bit of things and a lot more of what I said, after all those things that happened in their life, here we come to chapter 15. It's been a fight, it's been a struggle, and the struggle is real. So, so they've been through some hard times. You go through those kind of hard times and sometimes you just need some fresh wind from heaven. You know what I mean? You just need God to breathe into you again. That's what we get in Genesis chapter 15. All right, so now, God is going to do something supernatural in Genesis 15. Did, did any of you get a chance to read Genesis 15? I won't have you raise your hand because I don't want you lying in church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to be mad at you while I'm preaching either. <laughs> Genesis 15 is kind of a weird chapter, isn't it? It's kind of strange. What, what in the world is going on? Well, it starts off with this vision. You know, throughout the scripture, we see God giving people dreams and visions. Uh, dream is kind of when God speaks to you in the night and kind of reveals something to you that is going to be very significant for his plan and his purpose for your life. This is a vision. It's a little bit different. Abraham is going to have this supernatural encounter. The, the whole chapter is he, he's, in the, he's in this vision state. He, he's likely awake when God speaks this, this revelation to him. So think about that. I mean, this, this, this thing comes over him. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I just know sometimes God uses this kind of thing and does this kind of thing. He speaks to him in this mode of a vision. And let's read the whole chapter. Can we do that? Can we read the, the, all 21 verses of it? I've got to read the whole story to you because I, I won't be able to cover it all in a sermon today. Uh, you'll be glad of that. Although, y'all do have food right there, right? Okay. And some of y'all ain't been to church in a while, so y'all might as well stay with me. <laughs> I ain't saying nobody's name now. Anyway. All right, Genesis 15. Let's read verse 1. Let's read the entire chapter. Follow along with me. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look, look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to to him, Abram brought them to God, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, Now certainly that your descendants will be, or know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. What's that story about? Now that's the Egypt story, right? The Exodus. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We know that the flower will wither, the grass will fade. But your word will last forever. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us to hear your plans and your purposes in this story today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the word of the Lord came to Abram. It's quite impressive. It's going to shape his future, actually. And the word of the Lord starts like this. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. Now think about this. Now he's just come through all of that. Just came out of a war. Conquered these kings. Got all the spoils of war back. Got his nephew rescued. He just had a, had, had a big, big to-do. It was a big deal. So coming out of that whole conflict, it, it's, it's some, some kind of letdown that always happened to us. In light of all that's happened, in light of this word, what state of mind do you think Abram is in? If God says, do not be afraid, what, what, what's probably churning on the inside of you? He's probably got a little anxiety going on, doesn't he? Probably got a little bit of fear. And God says, I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to be anxious. 
Now, what would he be anxious about? What would he be concerned about? Well, he's got quite a, quite a following. He's got quite a large family now. We've just read that there's 318 of, of his soldiers, and they all probably have families. And he's got some of his kinfolk and some folks he's picked up along the way. There's no telling how many, maybe a few thousand people he's following, following him right now. All the sheep and goats and herds and camels and oxen and donkeys and all that kind of stuff. He's got all that too. So, so there's a lot to be worried about. And what about those kings? What about those four kings that he's just driven back off in, in, into the wilderness? What about those four kings? Could he be worried about them? Maybe thinking they could muster up forces again and come back and retaliate? Maybe he's concerned about that. Maybe he's concerned about his future because, you know, sometimes when we think about what God's going to do in our life or what the future may hold and, and the good plans that's laid out for us, when it doesn't come to pass right away, we oftentimes get anxious about it, don't we? We oftentimes get a little antsy. We, we get a little impatient. We, we get to wondering, what, what's taking so long? What, what's going on? God, what are you up to? What, what's going on here? Is something wrong with me? Is there something I need to do? Because, you know, all this delay and all this stuff, I'm keep looking at my watch and the calendar keeps passing by. This wasn't in the dream plan. It's not the way I thought it would be. Is, is there something I need to do different? Or is there something I need to do right? Or is, is good stuff ever going to happen to me? He's concerned. His mind is taken up by all of this. And God steps into his life and says, Abram, don't be afraid. And God speaks to two areas of concern in his life. He speaks right directly to his heart. And I just want to tell you this morning that God knows right where you are all the time. And if you'll have an ear to hear, he'll speak to you right in your situation. That's what he does with our brother Abram. He says, I am your shield your exceedingly great reward. So God comes to him and he just says, Look, don't, don't, don't sweat it, Abram. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. Now what's a shield for? Well, the shield's for like warfare, isn't it? It's like if you're in, in a battle and you're maybe under attack or something and you've got a shield and that shield is for what? It's for protection, right? So he's telling Abram, he says, Abram, listen, I want you to know that your life is secure in me. Don't you worry about it. Don't you worry about what's going on in that old crazy world, in that old crazy neighborhood you live in, with them old crazy kings that's coming after you and all those people that hate you and don't like you and they don't like the fact that I'm blessing you. Don't you worry about that, Abraham. I've got your front, I've got your back, I've got your left and your right. I will protect your life. Now, see, we live in a crazy world. And if you're not careful watching the news and listening to all the madness that's going on, you, you'll get anxious about everything going on. You'll be worried about your kids. You'll be worried about this and you'll be worried about that. And you need to hear this morning that if you're in covenant with God, God is your shield of protection. And he'll guard your life. He'll watch over your life. We just dedicated a little Beckett. And sometimes some, some of the anxiety of a mother's heart especially is, is my baby going to be okay? That's a real thing, isn't it? And God says to us today, he says, I'm your shield. I'm your shield. And he says, I'm also your exceedingly great reward. Abram, all the things you've got, all the question marks you've got in your life, and all the, the decisions you've got to make, and all the avenues you've got to travel down, and all the roads you have to take, all of that kind of thing. Abraham, I don't want you to worry about it. I am going to be your provision. There's something I've learned about God. See, God doesn't give us the five-step plan. 
Now, preachers do sometimes, but, but God doesn't always give us the five-step plan. He doesn't give us the five-year plan. He doesn't give us the 20-year plan. You know what God says to us? He says, come follow me. And he intends on us to follow him and trust him every step of the way. So what is the reward? The reward's not just a plan, not just the next step, not just an answer to your prayer or an answer to your question. The reward is him. He told Abram this, uh, he told Moses this. He said, he said Moses, Moses was like, how are we going to do this? God said, I'm going to be with you. That's kind of what he does with Abram right here. I, I'm, I'm, I am I, God. I am going to be your provider. I am going to be the one that blesses you. Hmm. So he speaks to those two areas of, the, of that anxiety that's over his life. And he says, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to provide for you. That's good blessing, isn't it? That's good assurance. We need that from time to time. Then in verses 2 through 5. Abram, I think this is why God liked him so much. He, he's just kind of got that, that chutzpah, you know, that he, he's just audacious. He, he just will talk to God about stuff. I mean, later on in the story, he's, God's going to talk to him about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abram's going to wrestle with God, and he's going to say, well, what about this, God? Wait, 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 wait. He talks to God like he's his friend. God liked that. So Abram asked God, he said, how is all this going to happen? How's all this stuff about this great nation and this blessing to the whole world? How's all this going to happen? Because you, if you haven't noticed yet, God, I don't have a son. I think you told me I was going to have one. but So he said, he said God, I, I, I got a solution for you. We, we got a dilemma. Here's, here's a solution. Because how can I be the father of many if I'm not even the father of one? So i tell you what, God, let, let, me, let me take Eleazar. You know, he, he's, he's my number one guy. He's heading up the whole household. He manages everything very well. And How about if I just adopt him as my heir and I just, I'll write it down in the will, I'll bequeath everything to him, and I'll give it to Eleazar because I know it'll be taken care of. Hmm. Now, isn't it hilarious sometimes how we chime in with God? We say, hey, oh God, I got an idea. Somebody said, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans, you know what I'm saying? Isn't that about the truth? And he chimes in right here, and God just flat out says, no. Now, I thank God for the no's, don't you? I, I, I like it when he says no. At least that's something. It, it helps me with some direction to some degree. God says, Eleazar, he's a nice guy. He's going to come in handy next time Isaac needs a wife when Isaac comes along. But right now, Flat out, no, it's not him. Your heir will come directly from your body. Okay. So we get another faith lesson right here. That See, Abram is trying to piece this thing together, kind of like we are on our journey. We're trying to figure out what is God doing in my life? What is God doing in my family? Where, where's our next move? What are we going to do? How, how are we going to make it in the future? How's this plan going to unfold? See, you don't get the whole thing at one time. It just kind of unfolds as you go. How's it going to happen? Well, it's going to happen a little bit here and a little bit here. See, it's a walk of faith. And how do you take a walk? One step at a time, right? So God's going to unfold it. So the trick is to stay in communion with God as it continues to unfold. So the promise maker, God, says to Abram, come on, Abram. Come on, we've been talking in the tent a little bit. Let's go outside. What? It's night, nighttime. Let's go outside. And he says, I want, I want you, Abram, 
to look up at the heavens. Just look at that. And there Abram gets a nice desert look. You know, it's dark. Don't you like to go outside when it's really dark? Really dark. You go on that side of my house over there and it's just really dark. You go out and I call Sandy out half time and say, hey, come on out here. Just look at these stars. It's just so beautiful. That's what he and God do. God says, I want you to go out here. Look up. Look up. And, and if you can count the stars that you see, so shall your descendants be. So he's all he's he's now he's, he's into all this anxiety and, and all this worry and all these kind of things that we're inferring from what the word comes to him from God. And God says, I want you, in order to get out of that mess, you're gonna to have to look up. You're gonna to have to look up. Because, beloved, listen to this. The uplook will always help your outlook. I promise you. The psalmist said it like this: He said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. For where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he says, Abram, I want you just to look up. I want you to just look up. Hmm. Now think about this, because God has said something to him beforehand. And he'll say it again later, that God gave him two blessings. He said, I want you to look down, and I want you to see all this dust, all this stuff. And so your descendants will be even as all those grains of dust. Now he says to look up. I want you to see that all of your descents will be as the stars of the heaven. So listen to me. God has him surrounded. Whether Abraham's looking up in all kinds of hope and admiration of God and all kinds of faith, he's looking up, he sees the promise. You know what? Abraham has a bad day and he can't hardly hold his head up and things are discouraging and it gets heavy and all that kind of thing and his head hangs down. Guess what he sees? He sees the promise of God right at his feet. God covers both bases for all days. And here with Abram now, the promise that he's holding on to is to have a son. But he doesn't have a son. He's probably somewhere around 80 plus years old now. He's 75 when the promise comes. Now think about that now. Now he lives to be 175. But imagine you at 75 years old, God comes to you and said, Hey, I'm going to start your life over again and you and mama are going to have a baby. Somebody said, I ain't sure that's from God. <laughs> I ain't sure about that deal. <laughs> now, here, here's, here's where you got to be in faith. Because can you believe God for more when you have nothing? Can you believe all things are possible when impossible situations are staring at you? That's what's happening here. And can you walk by faith and not by sight? Can you do all that? This is what faith is about. Can you believe the word of the Lord over the words that keep echoing from other people's lives? All the words that keep echoing in your own cranium, all bouncing on your own head. Can you hear the word of the Lord over all the other voices? That's what faith entails. God said, look up. Hmm. And you know what? Abram looked up. And he said... Amen. That sounds good. In verse 6 it says this. Abram believed God. Abram just simply believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abram believed God. Now this becomes the hallmark statement, the signature statement over Abram's life, over Abraham. It's quoted and alluded to many times throughout the, the New Testament. That Abram just simply believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
So he hears the promise maker, and Abram just says, I'll take that. He hears the promise maker, and Abram becomes the promise taker. And he says, God, I'll, I'll take you at your word. <laughs> you know what? You see this. Paul alludes to it in Romans and Galatians. The Hebrews writer alludes to it about this kind of faith being an anchor for the soul. You, you see all of this. This kind of faith is what pleases God. Is that you and I would be the kind of person that simply believes what God says. Hmm. To believe God. to tr- This is what God wants from your life. From my life. He wants us to be the kind of people that just say yes. And amen. You know, you hear people say amen in church all the time. What, what does that mean? That, that means so be it, right? That means let, let it be to me according to what you just said. Or, or maybe we say it like this. Uh, hey, I believe that. And all the church said, amen. some of you got it. Hmm. Now press this idea into the New Testament. Because that's why this story was written. It was written to point us to the Messiah, point us to Jesus. Now now break it down. It says, Abram believed God, and it was accounted to him for right. He believed God. Believe means to trust. It's it's more than just a mental thing. It's it's where you believe something enough to where you put everything on the line. The the picture of the, the Hebrew word is to put your full weight upon something. To where you believe. Abram believed God. And it was accounted to him. That, that is an accounting term. You hear the word accounting in there. He, God accounted it. He, he credited Abraham's account. Abraham's account, he was bankrupt. He didn't have anything in that account. And God said, oh, I like that so much. He said, I'll just dump everything you need in that account. And what was that he needed? It was righteousness. And because of Abram's faith, God said, that's the kind of faith that makes people right with me. See that righteousness? You just take all the suffixes off that word right. Righteousness. And you come up with what? Right. Right? Right. Right. You, you come up with right. And, and, and God just looked at Abram and said, that's it. That's it. That's, that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. I, I've been searching high and low all over the globe. And I can't get anybody to believe me. The tempter's got a hold of them. He's got them believing that my word doesn't mean anything. That you can't trust my word. That I'm trying to hold something back from you. The tempter. That's what he did in the garden, right? Get them to question the word of the Lord. And now he runs into a man who says, God, I, I, okay, let's do it. I'm with you. And as we press into the New Testament, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, this is scripture, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this. For by grace you have been saved. Read that with me, can you? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's the gift. You know what? God said, you believe me? Here's your gift. We're in relationship together now. So God begins to talk to Abram about a son, and now he begins to talk to him about the land. The promise is going to entail a son, a promised son, and a promised land. We call it the promised land. 
This is going to be the land where God chooses to raise his family to be the light of the world. And then we have this bizarre thing that happens in this chapter. This bizarre ritual that God enacts right there in this dream. Abram is operating in this vision right here. This bizarre ritual. Did you follow some of the ritual? It's kind of a bloody mess, wasn't it? All right. So, so Abram asked for a sign, and this is what God does. God plays out this covenant ritual. Now think about this. Now listen to me so, so you don't think this is just out there in left field bizarre. When you dig into this and you understand what's happening in here, this is one of the clearest examples in the Bible of why Jesus had to come and die for our sins. Okay? All right, so what, what's, what's going on here? What's happening? Okay, God initiates. Let me push this up to the side right here real quick. God initiates a covenant ceremony with Abram. Okay? Now, we still make covenants today, right? Covenants, sometimes we call them covenants. We usually call them contracts, right? We, we, how, do we, how do we guarantee a contract in modern day times? How do we do that? You sign. So you sign, I sign, we get a notary to sign, we get witnesses to sign, maybe, and we make a pledge that whatever the deal is, whether it's buying a piece of property, a house, a vehicle, or exchange of something, whatever it might be, a contract, some kind of agreement, we make signatures and we sign a deal. Or we cut a deal. Okay? We make covenant. The word covenant means to cut. You hear the phrase cut a deal? That's where it comes from is the word covenant. Let's cut a deal. Okay, so this is what, what happens. Now, in ancient times, they had a different way to do it. Okay, they didn't write their names on pieces of paper. They had these ceremonies that they went through. And it's interesting that Abram knew exactly what to do when God told him to go get these animals. In, in ancient times, a, a great king would oftentimes come in covenant with a lesser king. Maybe he conquered him or maybe, maybe he just come into allegiance with him and they, they had an agreement together. And the great king and the lesser king would come together and they would make covenant. They would cut a covenant. They'd cut a deal together to, to share resources and to, to share protection and all those kind of things. So here's, here's the scene. Here, here's what happens in this covenant ritual. All right? Now, let's, let's, can we lay this thing out real quick? i got to lay it out. All right? So what was the first thing that Abram had to bring? He had to bring this, this heifer. That's a cow, by the way. Some of y'all use that word in the wrong way. <laughs> all right, so he had to bring a cow, a heifer. All right, this is our heifer. What, what he had to do with a heifer? He had to cut it in half. So this is this is our two halves of the heifer. All right, so so what else did he have to ha- have? He had to have like a goat, right? So he had to cut that goat in half. And he laid the pieces side by side, cut them in half. All right, so now let, let's get some other stuff right here. Carson, come help me. Come on, you help me. All right, this is your ram. This is your turtle dove and your pigeon. Go lay them up there. All right? Now, now this, this is going to represent the blood. This is red. This is one of my Turkish rugs. If It don't fly, by the way. <laughs> this is going to represent the blood. Very good. All right, come on. We ain't done yet. Come here. Come on. You can preach with me. All right, so, so it says that, that God told him to take all these animals. And Abram knew right away he had to split them in half and enact this covenant ceremony. So 
All the animals are laid out, and it's a, it's a blood path, basically. It's a blood trail. You, y'all clean deer. You know about all that kind of stuff. It it's kind of gets messy, doesn't it? So you can imagine what the scene looks like. It's a bloody mess. And, and all these, it says this little thing, Abram fought off the vultures. The vultures are coming. Abram began to fight off the vultures. That's kind of interesting, you know, because something's always wanting to take your blessing. Something's always going to want to pick at your covenant. Something's always wanting to tear it all apart. And you, if you don't fight for it, they'll get it. So it's getting dark. And a deep sleep falls on Abram. Now, now here, here's what usually happens. Okay? So you be the good king. Okay? I'm, I, you're the big, big guy. Right? I'm, I'm the lesser guy. Usually what happens in this kind of covenant, we would, we would walk through this thing together. Come on, let's walk through this thing together. Ordinarily, both parties would walk through this blood trail together. All right? And I don't know if they did a handshake or a pinky promise at the end. I don't know what they did. <laughs> but, but they would walk through that trail together, ordinarily. The lesser king, sometimes the greater king would make the lesser king walk in it by himself. And here's the point. This is what was happening. They were making a promise. They, they're they're in a, are acting out the consequences of what would happen if somebody breaks their word in this agreement. The consequence would be nonetheless that you would be cut in half just like these pieces. So it's a very graphic scene. It's, it's a little bit deeper than just signing a signature and taking it to the notary. It's a little bit more graphic. Because you see, well, Lord, this is serious. If I don't keep my word, guess what? The wages of sin is death. You break your word in this, and this greater king, guess what he's going to do with you? Well, you saw the movie. You know what it's like. You saw Game of Thrones. That's what they do, right? And this is the whole deal. All right, you're good, man. You're king for a day. All right. So, so they're, they're going to graphically act out the consequences of what it would look like. They make the promise, and if I break my word, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Okay? So you expect, if, if you know that little bit of history, you expect Abram to wake up and him and God to walk through these pieces together. That's what you expect. But that's not what happens. God caused Abram to fall into a deep sleep. He, he goes out. And what happens is Abram sees in this vision that there's this cloud of smoke. And the Hebrew says it's, it's, it's smoke like come, that comes from a furnace is the way it's portrayed. It says in our, our translation, a smoking furnace. But really what it is, is is the billowing smoke that comes out of a hot furnace. He sees this appear. The smoke just kind of comes in, and the smoke passes through the blood trail. This blood covenant. The smoke passes through. And, and beside the smoke is this flame. Like the kind of flame that would be on a torch. And this flame comes right through there and they both pass right through the blood. Now wait a minute now. Fire and smoke. Think about this. Fire and smoke or fire and cloud are classic biblical symbols of the presence and person of God. Think Mount Sinai. When God showed up on Mount Sinai, guess what came down with him? 
this furious cloud, this furious storm cloud, and all these lightning bolts and fire was shooting all over the place. Think about this. When they were in the desert, remember? What, what led them during the day? A cloud. A pillar of cloud is what it says. A pillar of cloud led them by day, and then a what? A pillar of fire by night, right? So, so notice, Abram didn't pass through here. God passed through here in two ways, representing himself, or let's say it like this, God represents both parties of this covenant. What is he doing? God represents himself, and God also stands in for Abram. Now, what in the world does this mean? This is some good stuff now. Listen to me. God's saying this. If I break my word, let me be cut in pieces. Okay? We got that, but we're not counting on him to break his word. His, his word forever will stand. We're not counting on that to happen, so that, that he's good on that. But listen to this. God's also saying, I'm standing in for you, Abram. If you or your descendants break their word, God says, I will bear the consequences. If you sin against this covenant, let me be cut in pieces. Do you see it? Has the light bulb gone off yet? The promise maker gives his word to pay the price for us not holding up our end. And beloved, have we held up our end? From Abraham's descendants all the way to us, there is no way we have not. Beloved, this is the message of the cross. That God is willing to stand in our place and take the consequences for our breaking the oath that we are his people. We belong to him. Nobody saw it clearer than Isaiah. Isaiah 53, you, you know this passage probably if you've been in church any length of time. Isaiah 53, starting in verse number 6, it says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, and he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Now this is a hundred, hundreds of years before Jesus ever died on the cross. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off. There's that covenant word idea. He was cut off from the land of the living. Why? What did he do? Nothing. Why was he cut off? For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Beloved, this is a clear picture of the gospel when you understand this whole blood path, this whole blood trail. So Abram says this, right in the middle of all of it, he says, how will I know? How will I know? Don't, don't we have that question? He's, he's, he's showing us he's really human now. He's not some superhuman. He's a real human, it's just like us. How will I know? Now, how will I know that these things are true? How do I know the gospel is true? How do I know that Jesus is true? How will I know for sure? We, we had those questions, don't we? And the promise maker in verse 13, he says this, Know certainly that if you see this covenant, you will know certainly. 
So you got the smoke. You got the horror. And with all those things in mind, go with me to a place called Golgotha. It's another graphic scene that's playing out. And there's a man that's hanging on the cross. And he's suspended between heaven and earth. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And it says that when the sixth hour had come in Mark 15, it says that, that there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So that was about nine o'clock in the morning, then it just gets dark. It's just black. See, those are the same dark clouds from the Abraham story. We're, we're to make these connections with what God is doing, what God did in old times to foreshadow and, and to prophesy about it. We're to make these connections. That's how the apostles got the New Testament. We see these dark clouds from the Abraham story that are now rolled in and all of its horror and all of its power. Now they've rolled in on top of Jesus. Hanging on that cross. And Jesus' blood is being spilled on the ground. And his body has been cut to pieces. You see what I'm talking about? And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there hangs Jesus Paying the price for our end of the deal. And when God represented both parties in that covenant agreement in Abraham's story, Jesus was then sentenced to death. Because God would have to stand in for us just like He promised. And we get to John 3.16, the most famous verse in the New Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, believe. Wait a minute now. That's an Abraham word, isn't it? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, now Jesus comes on the scene and he says, now that same faith that Abraham showed when he just simply believed the word of God now that same faith must be transferred to me. And if anybody believes in me, they shall not perish, but they shall have everlasting life. You hear what I'm saying to you? Beloved, the promise maker has spoken through Jesus. In these last days, there's no other revelation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The promise maker has spoken and says, Believe on my son. And God looks throughout all the whole earth and he says, who's going to be the promise taker? Who is just simply going to be like Abraham and take me at my word? That person will be made righteous. You hear what I'm talking about? The person that believes, the person that puts their full weight, their full hope, their full assurance, their faith, their life, puts it on Jesus they will know certainly that God is their shield and great reward. You hear what I'm talking about? 